0: Inquiring minds want to know, do you ever feel the pang to get yourself some sort of gizmo?
1: <laughs>
0: some some, some sort mean, of like mobile device? mean like a cell phone
1: communication? Yeah. Uh, in terms of mobility, I mean, I, I actually was gifted an iPad. Wow. Um, so I have an iPad, so I could actually do the appy type things if I really wanted to, but I'd still be doing it from the comfort of my home withy. Right. Um, yeah, I... It's funny, I was. I found myself I had to explain this to somebody when I was in Montreal for Fantasia, because they, they asked kind of the same question. I was like, you know, I, a lot of the things that you would do to make your life so much more easier using a phone don't seem to be a lot of the things that I, I put a lot of thought into doing in the first place. Okay. So it's, it would almost seem like I would need to go out of my way personally to even have the inclination to go. Boy, you know what I could totally use right now is a device to take a picture or <laughs> a device to do whatever. It's like I got my my iPod in my pocket and I'm listening to my music, and that's kind of about it. Any of the cool like bells and whistles, like I'm totally fine like doing that before I leave. It really doesn't bother me. It would probably it would probably make it easier for other people no, that's exactly in your life, That's not so exactly much you. That's exactly which so so exactly which. So. You know, and like, that's, I mean, and not, that's, not, and that's why
0: not, everybody asks. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, <laughs> welcome. To Wherever you are, my name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 163 of The Matinee Cast. It's the movie loving podcast on the movie loving website, thematinee.ca, the home for cinematic passion and perspective. Uh, things are going to sound slightly different today. We're trying to, to keep up with this crazy, crazy, freakish, odd summer that we find ourselves in, where the big movies don't seem all that awesome and the smaller movies are few and far between. And because of that, putting out a show is kind of tricky um, so we're gonna kind of uh, we're gonna play some jazz with today's show it's kind of like one of the shows that we used to do where we would go sit on the patio some bar somewhere and uh drink and talk and whatnot and, Did you used to do that yeah 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 yeah. Well, usually once a summer I, I try to take take the show outside make it a little bit more informal and just kind of rap about some movie that we've seen recently although i you know with those i still tend to go in a little bit more prepared than we're going to do today but um we saw a good movie today and i want to talk about it and i want to get out a new show because it's been a little bit too long um so please if you're used to being a little bit more finessed uh, do do permit me um, a little bit more leeway but um, we have a great guest so if, if nothing else we, we, we come bearing gifts he, uh, he is the friend and neighbor of the show rather whip smart when it comes to Really shitty movies, if I sometimes. yeah, and and the and the good ones as well. We don't just bring him on here because he likes the crap. Um, Mike Lane is here. How are you, Mike Lane? Hey, um, I'm good. Are you I'm good.
1: you know, you yeah. doing okay without air conditioning this summer? It must have been a rough week. It it has been extremely hot. Uh, very humid. It's a it's a very damp summer. There's it A has, lot of cold
0: baths. Or it something? has not been.
1: Oh, oh, it's not even funny. Yeah, like <laughs> like four showers a day, like <laughs> constantly changing my clothing because I got to look good.
0: <laughs> Two quick notes before we get started with the show. Um, first of all, just a quick apology, as I mentioned off the top of the show that. Uh, The schedule in August has been just so scattershot, but uh, along with people coming into town that I really wanted to spend time with, uh, you know what guys, there's just been nothing really in August that I wanted to talk about, lord knows I didn't want to get on Suicide Squad or uh, really dedicate a whole lot of time to something like Pete's Dragon, so we're going to try and get a few more shows in before TIFF. and uh, kind of round out this summer right With some energy So thanks for sticking with us And uh, speaking of sticking with us um, As we record here today, August 20th uh, It is the ninth anniversary of, uh, of my starting the whole website In the first place Yeah, in the, in the first place Mike is giving me a look like Wow, dude um, August 20th, 1997 I wrote about Once uh, Starring Glenn Hansard and Marquette Herglova And uh, The Bug Was Born So um, more, you know Often and, and hardcore ever since then. It's been part of my routine. It's introduced me to a lot of great people, our guest today, one of them, of course. And um, thank you. Just thank you, thank you so much. If you've come by the site once, if you've come by the site often over the last nine years, um, thanks for encouraging me and uh, for giving me something cool to do with my time. Um, Today, on episode 163 of the Matinee Cast, we are going to talk about Kubo and the two strings. We are going to learn more about Mike, and we're going to get right into that after this. It's Know Your Enemy. So we're, we're gonna do something a little weird for today's Know Your Enemy, and I do apologize for this too off the top of the show. I had mistakenly thought, because I've known Mike now for four or five years, that you had been on the show three times. No. No, you have been on the show one time. This is, not, this is not your third appearance, this is your second appearance. So I gave you the third timers questions. Ooh. So what we're gonna do is we are gonna pretend, like we're gonna skip past the second timers. And when you come when you do come on for a third time, we'll get to those. So cool. today we're gonna jump past the second timers and go to round three. But I feel special. I right? Well, I feel stupid, so we're good. <laughs> on episode 106, where we talked about monuments men, we learned that the first movies, plural, Mike had seen in a drive-in setting was the Muppet movie, Arthur and E.T. The Extraterrestrial. He remembered bits and bobs from all three, so he just called it a day and said, you know a bunch of those the events are indistinct yes. yes the last movie he'd seen at the time was soldier of orange the worst movie he'd ever seen was glenn or glenda the edward i use this word loosely classic the unseen classic or essential was on the waterfront have you seen it i, I have still not seen it oh my god yeah i failed Brad. at uh, the modest task yeah, we, we may charge. be we may be sending you home with a copy if it's been two years and you still haven't seen and the films plural that he wished he made were either synecdoche new york Or the fountain. So we're gonna skip straight to round three. Cool. Did I need to have followed the previous grade to get any of these trick questions that are coming up? No, 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 no. You didn't teach me that. No, they're all they're all completely independent of one another. So I can mix and match the rounds. That's the cool thing. Excellent. All right. Um, So, what is? Interpret this question any way you want. But what was the film that made your love of film turn a corner? I always wished that I was one of those guys that
1: had that answer of there was this one movie that changed everything, or that made me want to uh, make something, or or uh, get into movies really deeply. You always hear like I think Spielberg felt that way for was it Citizen Kane, uh, or just there's there's always you know, and Scorsese certainly. It's just like there's always had these these penultimate or not penultimate. Wow, I'm totally using the wrong words. <laughs> they had this thing where. Um,
0: these touchstones uh, really? yeah, yeah
1: that that really like oh my god this is what movies can do and like it propelled them and I I never really had that and I don't understand why because I'm like so nerdy into movies uh, they were just kind of always there for me so I never had like that original trigger but tr- looking back on the history of my life I would probably have to say it was Pulp Fiction because okay. Pulp Fiction came out sort of right at that moment where maybe I was cresting away from mainstream uh pop cinema of you know 88 89 90 like that sort of hollywood era into a oh wow american independent cinema exists like like sort of cresting that wave out of the mainstream and into something a bit more perhaps uh, classy um or uh, you would have been like 16
0: 17 kind of thing
1: 15 um uh, 1994 right so I was I was 15 yeah yeah so and the funny thing is I actually can't even pinpoint why I really really wanted to see Pulp Fiction other than like I knew it won the Palm d'Or so already like that would have been a big signal for me I'm sure I liked all the cast although Sam Jackson would have been in anything at that point I don't think um, or that I would have seen for sure uh, but there was something like boy, did I really want to see this, and there was a lot of pre-advanced publicity, so I'm reading about it, and I'm kind of maybe forming my ideas of how movies are actually made, because you also have this guy coming out, Quentin Tarantino, and like becoming this sort of signature thumbprint. Like, when I was a kid, I always noticed, like, Steven Spielberg's on a lot of these really good movies, Uh, and eventually you discover that thumbprint, but I think Tarantino, at that moment, because I had managed to stumble on um, Reservoir Dogs earlier, when I was watching it on uh, PTV at one point, just like, oh my god! Um, but I was like so into pulp fiction, like right at that crest of it was hitting this strange popularity. But it was such an odd, offbeat, cool movie that not a lot of people dug. Um, but anyway, so when it came out here, it was totally rated R, and uh, in Ontario and maybe even in Canada, like the R rating really seriously used to mean you're not 18, you're not getting in. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, whereas I know in the states, if you're not 18, you, you got to bring a parent. Yeah. yeah, like that would be so easy, um, but you couldn't get in. And I was only 14, so I couldn't get in or 15. I tried like three times to get into Pulp Fiction, and they were all failures in Sudbury, Ontario. They got good theater staff (laughs) circa then. So I, uh, but I found that they had published the screenplay. Like Miramax Books, they had started up their own book wing just so they could publish uh, Quentin Tarantino's screenplays. It's like, oh, all right. and yeah, and so Pulp Fiction became, because this was also just pre-internet, like I wouldn't have gone on the internet
0: until uh, later, like, like maybe... 96, 95.
1: I think I was mid-95, so like let's say like seven or eight months. I certainly, once I got on the internet, it was just like all Pulp Fiction all the time. Right, right. But... Uh, yeah, but it, to be able to find like that screenplay and be like, oh my god, they, they published these? And oh, this is, this is how movies are, are written? And it helped that it was such a sparkling movie, like you can read that screenplay and see it in your head, yeah. or as opposed to you read other bad screenplays, and then you can't, and then the magic is lost on you. But the magic was there for this very first time, and I just, I think, probably propelled me through on into Hey, maybe this is something that somebody could possibly do.
0: Meaning me, like you know, it's sort of that was really, I'd say, kind of it. It sort of sounds like that because, like, that movie came at that moment for you. You know, like like Tarantino for for people around our age, he was kind of the first rock star director. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. it's kind of like kind of like finding your music when you're in high school. Like you tend you start with either your friends' music or your older siblings' music or that kind of thing, and then around the time you hit fifteen, sixteen, you find your own stuff. It, it sort of yeah. it was kind of this serendipitous little moment of something so different. Yeah, and, than and what you know what? Was going and, on.
1: And maybe Spielberg or Scorsese even like had a similar groundswell of, of uh, popularity like maybe when they started oh, yeah, to say but we weren't yeah, but nope. we weren't experiencing that and they still weren't rock star on the level of Tarantino. Like he was doing guest shots on A B C sitcoms. Yeah, yeah. And like because he really wanted to be an actor, so he was following that Well, It was also around the
0: time that. that mass media became a different, um, it, it, you know, emblematic in his own movie, in Natural Born Killers, and what was happening with mass media at mm. the time. So when when Spielberg and Scorsese were becoming big, it wasn't nearly the same kind of animal that it no, was then. No, so no, so it
1: was, yeah, it was big. Like, it was weird, but it was popular, but it was also still kind of niche and fringe because yeah. cinephilia always sort of uh, is. stays in, you know. Uh, what was your first date movie? I'm gonna freely interpret a, a date <laughs> because I don't know what sort of date people manage to go on when they're 10 years old. But when I was 10 years old, it was the summer of 1989. In fact, it might even have been like August. I think it was late August. Um, there was the Disney re-release of Peter Pan. Yeah. Which I'm sure I would have seen at some point, if not a previous uh, re-release. Yeah. Um uh, I, in fact, *Peter Pan* was one of the first ones they released on VHS, so maybe that was the first time where they were like, "We're putting it in the theater again, even though it's already on tape." But I might be misremembering that. Anyway, um, and, yeah, and I was 10 like, ten-year-old you," I was ten-year-old me, and I was like, *Peter Pan*, awesome. Like, yeah, I had friends that were like maybe thinking that's, you know, that's not cool to go see a Disney cartoon. Like, no, man, like, this is Peter Pan. This is going to be awesome. And uh, and there was a girl in the class. it has been like grade five, I think, uh, in between grade five and six. And she liked me. And she started calling me. And we were like, let's go on a date. And we went and we <laughs> saw Peter Pan. Aww. And uh, so, like, like our parents brought her, or like, I think her brother or sister brought her, and I think my... Maybe a babysitter dropped me off because my parents were worried. I don't know. And you but guys got like, to,
0: you got, But you guys got to go got alone. To, we got
1: to totally go alone oh, wow. to see this Disney movie. Because what else were we gonna do but watch a Disney movie? I mean, come on. I, I was not a. <laughs> no, I mean, like, yeah, I, was yeah. a, I was a very G-rated
0: ten-year-old. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, me too. Me too. Like I think, like in '89, I was seeing like I think the edgiest thing I saw in '89 was like Back to the Future Two. Or yeah, or I, I did yeah. not see Batman in a theater that summer. Or me either, and that haunted see, me for so long. Yeah, I did, did not you see, see Indiana Jones. I did not nope, either. Not that summer. Uh, I, to this Daniel day, I have not. Yeah, to, to to this <laughs> day, yeah, I have not seen uh, Last Crusade in the theater. Uh, but it like yeah, no, it, it's, it's you know it, it's kind of crazy because I was gonna say like what's it like seeing a cartoon on a date? Uh, but then again, it, like you're still in the age where you're kind of sort of watching cartoons.
1: It was just yeah, it was cool. It was like all right. Man. Peter Pan
0: awesome there's a movie in that I think yeah. of, of, of like you know of 11 year olds going on a date yeah yeah that's yeah, that's funny I've got am trying
1: to work that into a story I'm working on as you must. a matter of fact but it's Batman that they see that's, I um, no but no anyway. they gotta see a cartoon they you think they've they, they they got to see a cartoon? think yeah. that's got to be it? It's, yeah. It's it's Batman's such a cartoon at this point? Or, anyway. Or, or see something adventure-like. But, uh, but yeah. But so that was the present and it was lovely and we had a great time. Aww, look at that. And I can also remember the other theater was playing, uh, James Bond, License to Kill. Oh. Had just come out as had Let It Ride oh with, God. uh, uh, who was that? Richard Dreyfus. Nearest and and David O'Carson. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, what is uh, what is your sick day
1: movie? Because right, yeah, because it's like it sort of needs to be something that cheers you up. Because like on no? a sick day you feel no. like total really.
0: I, oh, look, see, I'm like hey, I'm a dude, miserable look, bastard like, the when the last, I'm sick. The last time I was sick, I watched Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. Because because it's so talky, because it's so oh, talky. Do yeah. you don't just,
1: find I, that's in some ways an uplifting kind of movie? No, really? not
0: at all. Well, it's uplifting in that I feel better about my life that I'm not those people, <laughs> you know. But but in general, that's not you know it's it's not it's not making me happy. Oh, okay. Um, no, it's it's making me happy in the way that I can close my eyes and just listen. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't really need to see. I uh, know. So it can be anything, and that's and that's why I, I you know um, I know like Matt Brown when he was on this show, yeah. he talked about something that would kind of make him feel worse, like getting into a hot bat to, to get rid of the fever. But, but it's your question, so what For do you sure? got? Well, yeah,
1: so in my in my world of sickness, um, I hate it. I am, like, so miserable. Um, and then the risk is you can still even watch something that you really like and just hate it, but then there's also, you know, you're going to, uh, maybe because you're feeling so bad, but also maybe because the movie is bad, you just end up getting a really bad shot. So, yeah, so my idea would be I would probably go back and do something that was, you um, Uh, that has a a very good, sweet, nostalgic, soft spot for me, something that I I do revisit quite often. Um, And it's... uh, (laughs) I I couldn't pinpoint one exactly, so the one I'm just going to say, or two, is um, Men at Work... (laughs) <laughs> uh, oh boy! Directed by Emilio Estevez and, uh, and starring
0: Emilio Estevez and
1: starring Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen. Sheen, and they are both garbage men who discover the dead body of a mayoral candidate, and uh, need to solve a mystery over the course of the preceding twelve hours. Oh my God. I weirdly love movies that are all set over one day. Oh, I, I like, don't know where yeah. that came from. No, no, but it's I'm, just, I'm with it's you. That's there. awesome. Um, I did see that movie at like an awesome time. That was another, ins- I was probably a year older by that point, but that was sort of like, oh cool, my 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 somewhat uh, badass friend, whose parents let him go see movies on their own while they go see Delta Force 2 and the other at cinema, like, are taking us to the theater to see Men at Work, which is rated 14 double A! You're not supposed to get <laughs> in to see that yet! So, you know, going to see it and just being blown away, thinking it was the funniest thing ever, and I was really into comedies when I was a kid. So yeah, Men at Work is like a huge thing, and uh, and he, if I ever met Emilio Estevez, it'd be like he's got he's got some Hitchcockian things going on in Men at Work. Okay. like there is a Hitch- uh, Hitchcockian style and design to wow. it, like that I only just noticed like the last couple times I watched it. No. But but why
0: that movie? Like why is that your sick day movie? Is it because it's got the nostalgia to it, but, or is it because no? Like, like, I, I mean I
1: don't think it's the just the nostalgia because uh, it's not like I'm flashing back to that every time that I'm watching it. It like, genuinely truly, just flat out makes you happy. It makes me happy. It makes me laugh. It's just I. I I, it's a form of escapism that I'm just pulled right into. Like, look at these guys, and they're kind of wacky guys, but they're wacky in the way that you want to be. And uh, oh, now they're in an adventure, and they're teamed up with this wacky person and this wacky person. Just and it all holds together. Well, that's not that's a lie. It ends terribly. So if you're uh, so if you're but, feeling
0: if you're feeling sick, you want somebody to bring you ice cream. Basically, yeah, that's it. Like you yeah, want popsicles because yeah, yeah. you're and Yeah, and sick.
1: somehow it is one of those movies that I've managed to. Um, I never really keep a strong remem- or memory of the previous time that I've seen it, so it doesn't just become like I'm sitting there reading the lines back and forth and going with it. Like That's not to say it surprises me, it doesn't, but I can totally get lost in that moment. What was the last film to leave you speechless? The Matrix. What? That seems so dated. I know! It was something like, because uh, uh, it literally left me speechless. Uh, we got to see, it was, I was I was just hailing up like first-year university, I was up there for uh, uh, the film program, and a bunch of my friends, we found out that they were doing a special advanced screening of it, I think two weeks before it came out, at midnight, because there was like a midnight series of movie screenings up at, I forget what the movie theater was called, but it was right at the corner of Yellen Bloor on the north east side. This nice cool little theater, you went in, it was. you sort of went into a, a little plaza and ducked down through a stairwell, but then you came out and it was a decent sized theater. And uh, they had been doing special midnight screenings that summer of uh, advanced stuff and they were showing The Matrix. And at the time, my friends and I like there was a really weird teaser that had come out that actually seemed pretty good and it was sort of like are we are we into this like this looks this looks like it might actually be really good like a lot of us were still burned by Johnny Mnemonic because we were into that <laughs> sort of like cyberpunk kind of thing um, but it's like man this looks kind of really good um, and oh my god so they're going to show it like two weeks in advance well we got nothing going on on Saturday night let's go and we truly did have nothing going on because we could go and wait in a lineup to see a free movie in right. downtown Toronto yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a long lineup but we got in and the place was electric. They were like screaming at the movie and responding to every move. Like, every fight kind of blew everybody's mind. Like, there was this strange level of integration with special effects you'd never seen before, but still in a uh, uh, almost believable, touchable way. Yeah. Um, but it just. Remember like, that. We'll
0: come back to that yeah, later. Yeah. Like,
1: the, the bullet time sort of like, oh my god. And like quite literally, you can ask anyone that was there with me that night, uh, I could not speak. And we got on the bus and I was riding back and I was just listening to them like and they loved it too and they were all gabbing about it and, and trying to analyze it and picking apart something. Nobody had told me that movies could do that, and I don't know what that reaction is regards to. If that's just like a surface level special effecty thing, I think I truly was like absorbed and moved by this, you know, this narrative. Like by the end, I was just like, you know like, I wanted to, to leap to my feet and rage against that machine. Uh, it really worked, and so that, like, I could not speak for the entire bus ride from Young and Bloor all the way up to York University campus on the buses because it would have been like. Three three. three in the morning on a Saturday. See, it's crazy
0: because I'm thinking in my head, the last time, so the only time after that that we witnessed, that that moviegoers witnessed a technological leap Mm. forward, would have had to be an avatar ten years after
1: Right? I, yeah, I okay. would uh, subscribe to that.
0: That's yeah, so so you know, like, like 3D like really really high amounts of computer generated effects like IMAX and 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 an immersive, and immersive. Like
1: understanding it's
0: But the difference context. between the two is I've always I've always contended that the story of Avatar is only good enough whereas the story in the Matrix is a really bloody good story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you kind of you were there to witness this thing at the time of it happening of story and effects of just something that we would never even considered before and it just in it just kind of melted your brain that way mm-hmm. it, it's
1: even though it's a tremendously predictable
0: movie if you're actually oh, looking yeah, at well, it it's it like is, you oh, know, just the, yeah, the rise no, no, of the hero absolutely but it's, but it's the still it's like no, a blammo. yeah no absolutely but the thing is it's still it's original enough that it that it you know you don't yeah. you don't you you let yourself go when you yeah. let yourself go in Avatar, and this is like the third episode this summer where we brought it back to Avatar. For no kidding. I might have to do an Avatar episode eventually. I, I really like but, Avatar. You no, but my only question to that though is, really, in the last seventeen years, nothing else has come along that's really just knocked you out in that way fiction, non-fiction, big, small, nothing else um, has, like, to get me wrong, I, I totally get what you're saying and I'm not questioning, no, I'm not, I'm not calling yeah. more shit, I'm just, I'm, I'm sort of surprised.
1: It, I don't, I guess, I guess maybe that's because my reaction was quite literally what you discussed, okay. like, I just could not bring myself to form the words okay. to carry on a conversation, hey, I really yeah. kind of didn't want to, gotcha. um, but, uh, but no, like, maybe... Like, I'm sure there's been dramatic stuff that's knocked me out. And for me, the highest compliment, because I'm an egotistical bastard, is uh, <laughs> when I see something, that's like, I couldn't have done that. Okay. Um, because I do fancy myself as hopefully maybe someday making a movie. I don't know. And I want to try to think I'll hope to do good. But you see certain things, and you're just like, oh, wow. Like, way to go. Like, I'm sure that it would have been Synecdoche New York because that one like just totally fragmented like the, oh my count. god this is like someone's my brains out and put it on the screen like I was a total uh totally identified with that movie Got so it. that would have left me um uh, uh what was the word? Speechless. 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 <laughs> Though I did immediately <laughs> was, begin You a did that less, purpose. But I did immediately begin a conversation with somebody afterwards so technically uh, I wasn't actually no. speechless but it was like so good.
0: Last but not least what is the movie quote that would be your epitaph? Uh, at the
1: end of a fine film named Caddyshack, oh God. Rodney Dangerfield says, Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And I think that would be exceptional on a tombstone.
0: <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Okay, because <laughs> it's true. It's I, true, baby. You know, I, I we're you, all going to get
1: laid in that ground. Well,
0: that, that's that's the hope, right? That you're going you're going you're going to a better place. Actually, no,
1: that is. Oh, okay, sorry. I <laughs> thought you were going to say like that is your hope going in the ground. It's like yeah, actually, it is. I'm kind of not into the cremation <laughs> idea, but the ground, I could totally. I have romantic ideas that like. I like the fountain. So there I, you
0: I, go. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny when you mentioned uh, that it was from Caddyshack. I thought you were going to hit me with like a Bill Murray special. No, no, you know, like Cinderella greatest, story. You know, greatest <laughs>
1: end line ever in history. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. We're all gonna get laid. Oh, there we
0: go. Well, that is more about Mike Lane. We'll learn the, second didn't we'll learn the round two questions when he inevitably comes back for a third round. Um, but we've got a movie to talk about now. We're gonna jump straight into the new slang uh, right after this and talk about Kubo and the two strings. Come on back. I look at you all, see the love there that sleeps. While my guitar gently weeps I look at the floor And I see it needs sweeping Still my guitar gently weeps We're back. He's Mike Lane. I'm Ryan McNeil. You're listening to episode 163. Of the Matinee Cast, and uh, the new slang for this episode is Kubo and the Two Strings animated film, directed by Travis Knight. It's written by Mark Ames and Chris Butler, based on the book by Mark Hames and Shannon Tyndall. It stars the voice work of Charlize Theron, Art Parkinson, Ray Fines, George Takei, Rooney Mara, and Matthew McConaughey. Um, it's a uh, it's Japanese fable not an, not an actual Japanese fable because it's a modern story that we just mentioned um, but it's set in ancient Japan. Kubo is a young boy um, who lives with his uh, ill mother um, in this reclusive little cove uh, n- uh, near a mountain and every day he goes out to this village and he tells stories and he gets basically gets money to survive on and as he plays his, uh, his little instrument um, it's called a shamisen, or shamisen. What's it? Tomato, tomato. They did not mention what it was called. They didn't the know but that. That's it's what exploring. it actually is. I've yeah. seen. It, I've seen it played. Okay. Um, when he plays it, uh, magical things happen. So like he gets origami to kind of come to life, and everybody loves him and pays attention. Um, so, but he uh, life is not all shamisenz and things coming to life. For Kubo, um, he and his mother are actually on the run uh, from his aunts, plural. And uh, his grandfather, who uh, many years ago plucked out his eye, and uh, feel like they need to finish the job. So his mother's trying to keep him safe, and uh, so to do magical things that unfold. We should kind of set the stage here because this show is happening. It was something's happening with this show that we don't normally do. Ordinarily, with this with this podcast, uh, Mike. First of all, my guests and I tend to see the film separately, and then come back either a night or two later, or sometimes even several days later, and talk about it after we've had a chance to both let it stew. Uh, Yeah. Today, we uh, just saw this film, like, it just ended an hour ago. And we just like, hey, let's roll. Um, And so we didn't even really let it stew. We were kind of like flying by the seat of our pants here. Uh, So if things sound a little bit ramshackle in that respect, that's why. We are... This is the, the let's go get beers after the movie and talk about this. This is the, the Kurt Halfyard special of you don't do dinner in a movie, you do a movie in dinner, <laughs> right? So you can talk about it afterwards. But one of the things we brought up, um, like right after the show on the walk over here, was the studio, was Lake Up studio. Um, small little independent animated house that has now given us four films. They gave us this movie, The Box Trolls, which you said you have not seen. Paranorman, which I know you love. That was the uh, best movie I saw that summer that it came out. And Coraline um, are the four movies. And this little studio, rather small American studio, has kind of quietly gone and done something really incredible with their body of work. When you take these four movies together, you've got a body of work that's all very old school. Like, these stories Especially the back two. Coraline and Paranorman are a little bit more modern, mm-hmm. right? They're a little bit more pop culture. Ox and Kubo are very, very like. Old school, like yeah. fable type yeah, stories. Yeah,
1: Coraline was maybe more sort of picture book kind of vibe. Coraline was not, yeah,
0: not like the really sort
1: of early, uh, a grim fairy tale mm-hmm. kind of, uh, uh, dark like life lessons
0: to teach you kind so, of movie. So now four pictures in. Is is Leica now a brand for you? Like if they make a movie, you're going. I think they would be. Although it's
1: funny because I didn't actually realize it was a brand. I had to ask you when the credits were running. <sighs> hey, what? What studio released that? I just, I hadn't picked up on it because it felt so, um, it felt so on par with high, sort of, uh, high achieving Disney level animation that I truly did think, like, oh, one of the majors actually successfully hit it, like, no. pretty high out of the park. And then it's like, no, it's just like, it's, the, I mean, I realized it was that production, like, I knew those same creative people were involved. And yes, I had already respected them because Paranormal was so good. Although I didn't see the box troll, so I guess that didn't translate into I'm going to continue with them. But now that I know that they've done that, yes, I, I definitely am. But that was, yeah, that was a huge factor going into this. It was... Like... And it will be from henceforth now going because they do seem to make these lovely little movies yeah, for it's... kids about, uh, about death, like, and dealing with it kind of truthfully. And then, yeah, it's sort of like, don't worry, it's okay. Like, you know we're this is a movie
0: to help you deal with death but then by the end it's like don't worry like well, because, you'll, you'll deal with it i mean disney <laughs> does that on. disney and pixar does that as well like they, you know and and they, and they always have they've always killed a sibling or they always killed a parent i mean you know the other day i rewatched big hero 6 mm-hmm. and you you know you lose the brother in the first act of that movie and it's like of course you lose the brother because it's disney and they like to do that but not quite to this extent like i feel like what they do in movies like this in movies like coraline and and paranorman it's much more about how the ripples from death can be much messier mm-hmm. you know disney always seems to me to be telling kids people are going to die and you're going to be sad like, yeah. And, and, yeah. and that, and that is all, like, that's all they seem to be able to say. And, and it's going to mess you up. Mm-hmm. But with movies like Kubo and with movies like, certainly like Paranorman, it's like, no, no, no. There can be, you know, uh, there can be unfinished business. Yeah. There fallout. can be a legacy. There can yeah. be Fallout. And I feel like in these movies, they're doing that really, really well at the story level. Mm. You know, which sometimes it's just they're mining really good stories. Like Coraline was Neil Gaiman, wasn't I it? So yes. Yeah. So you know, even with this one, where they got this this book by by. So it is a book. It okay. is a book, yeah, and then no they idea. got they did get one of the co authors to to write it, and I like I really dug this movie. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was
1: really excellent. Um, it really swept me away. Um... And and that's actually, I mean, there were slight impediments just in that we happened to see it at a very populated uh, family screening <laughs> at uh, two thirty on let's, a Saturday. Two yeah,
0: thirty on a Saturday is not the time to see animation if you're going as a cinema. Um, but I
1: will say that uh, I was a bit happy to see that many people bringing their kids out yeah. to see that movie. I, I As someone that I just I wasn't aware of like the intensity of its ad campaign, how many people really know about it. It seemed like there were a bunch of kids that were brought to it and some of them were really into it. Like there were plot chains where you could hear like a gasp. Um, but there was also a lot of other talking kids and like parents explaining the plot to their kids. And that sort of thing that it's like, oh right, this is what it's like to go see. I had totally just forgotten that that's exactly what it's like to go see a family movie like at the peak weekend of popularity, like they're always going to talk. It's well, so, I mean, it's the... so because it was such, I felt it was such an immersive visual poem that I wish I had been pulled along with it because I could definitely tell that was that movie's intent. Yeah, uh, but. Even still being pulled out of it, it was like, this is pretty great, but I am totally thinking, like, I think I need to see this a second time and, and aim for one where I can just get washed away with it. Go, go was, at like,
0: 10 p.m. on a yeah, Wednesday. because I
1: was so interested in being washed away with it. Or even a Sunday. They're well, that's actually...
0: That's, and day. that's one of the things I like about this movie, actually. Like, even though the parents had to explain it to their kids, is that it's just... It's trusting. It's just saying, we're just going to go and tell this story and just kind of, like, follow along. If yeah. you need to pause it and tell the kids... This is why he's setting out the bowls. This is why he, you know, what's going on, Dad? Well, son, he's imagining this is happening now. A minute ago, he was having dinner. Now he's imagining monsters.
1: Yeah, it's a bit of, there's no dialogue. Like, you need to just watch what these people are doing and form the story in your head for for a lot of uh, uh, stretches of it. Certainly the beginning. The opening
0: 15 minutes of this movie. Something like that. Stunning. Yeah. Like, he, basically, it's him and his mom. His, His mom is kind of borderline catatonic. Uh, it, like, he, like when I say he's taking care of his mom, he's really taking care of his mom. So he's cooking the food. He's like he starts a little fire in their cave and he cooks the food and he sets out almost like little offerings. He sets out his little toys and and he, he cooks her dinner and he's feeding her and taking care of her. And then he goes off to the village and he plays his little songs and makes his money. And in between, like you watch him like walking along the fields, and I was just I, like, that that beginning part of this movie, just on a level of artistic execution, I was just gone yeah yeah you know?
1: it's like uh, when you see something that pulls it off really well like a black stallion like it's yeah. just sort of like you're 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 pulled in simply by the power of the image and the sound that's like kind of swirling around you and and like the simplicity of that story like you just you
0: throw yourself at I mean it. it's it really makes this kind of movie stand apart from what Pixar and DreamWorks are doing because even though I like what Pixar and DreamWorks are doing they hold the they hold audiences hands Mm. An awful lot, right? Like you are not they not—they're—they're never content. Yeah.
1: Like they can do a cool stretch of no talking, you know. Like that was how they were pivoting the beginning of Wally. Yeah. Um, but Wally is still, you know, going to be wordless storytelling done in a as simple enough manner that it can really get it across to the audience that they wanted to go with. This one was just trying to be a little bit more opaque, a little bit more—it's uh, uh, subtle. Yeah. It's, and so, and hinting at complications.
0: Yeah. So, then, so so then we get into the actual adventure. Like the whole first act of this movie, Kubo, you know, he's told, don't stay out after dark because there's there's bad things out there. and we learn that it's it's his aunts and his grandfather who want to come and finish the job. And then one of the strings in his, I said it before, the Shamisen shamisen. I think that's that, that. should be a verse of the song. You say Shmizen, <laughs> and I say, it, and I say it. Um One of the strings in his instrument, he hits, and just like this, like white energy just like blares out, and all of a sudden he's safe, um, and he's now all of a sudden like he's transported, well away from danger, and he's joined by a monkey right yeah. a monkey named monkey yeah. which is which is kind of cool. but you you get that intimation immediately
1: wife life has been entirely wiped out like like he is now just returned he is completely alone except for this monkey yeah and uh, yeah left with and nothing well, he if as as crummy as his prior life was there is now nothing
0: yeah he's got his, he's got his little bag with his origami papers in it which he can kind of do this magic thing with and and his, his and his instrument, and that's all he has with him and yeah and he's like knocked out everything else it's kind of a daring jump because you're basically just taking all of that setup and you know letting off an atom bomb yeah. and saying gone yeah, you know yeah. his his village is nowhere in, in nearby all of the elders that he kind of met and knew him and like loved hearing his stories they're all gone you're just you're you're hitting like a hard reset and that like that's that's such a weird storytelling note that could probably kill a, a like a less a lesser movie it maybe it could cuz it kind
1: of yeah it kind of was a bit of a uh, it's jarring Right. I didn't. F- I definitely didn't find it jarring. Like I was. I was so pulled along by the rhythm and the poetry of that entire thing. Like I. I was still quite with it at that point, but uh, it was a sudden. Like oh, I like. I didn't realize this was getting grim. Like that was a. That was a grim choice you just did. Like all of a sudden,
0: yeah. You. You have. You have nothing. You, Why does this balcony smell like popcorn all of a sudden? You smell yeah. it too, right? I definitely do. That's kind of strange. Like I'm like, is it because we're talking about movies or yeah. something? No, that's good. Sorry to to cut you off there. (laughs) I just found that really strange. Um, You know, when when we talk about movies like this, there's, of course, there's the voice work that goes into it, and this movie is kind of curious because the voice work... So we got Art Parkinson as the kid, as Kubo, who does... He does a really nice little job. Um, Can you tell me who Art Parkinson is? Where people would know him from the most, and this is kind of a joke unto itself for me, is that he's Rick and Stark on Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. okay, he is the least useful Stark child. I see. Uh, he's he's borderline useless as a plot device. Yeah. Um, but Rick and Stark is the is the voice. He's he's that's all the that people would really know him from. I see. Okay. Um, but so he's the voice of Kubo. Um, so, I mean, I like the acting. I like the voice work that goes into this by Charlie Theron as the mother slash mild spoilers coming monkey, um, and Matthew McConaughey as Beetle. Um, who are basically his two traveling companions through most of the movie. I actually really liked Rooney Mara as the aunt. I found that she was actually Steady. really haunting yeah. in, in that in that respect, which is kind of funny because Rooney Mara doesn't actually have the most awesome voice. Mm. Like I, I I find that a lot of what makes her work is that she's more stoic and she's very she acts she acts with what she does and doesn't do, not so much with her voice. Yeah, I find
1: she yeah I I she has a
0: very soft way about yeah. speaking and I don't mean that in a, in a negative way the yeah, only it's, thing, a, it's an asset the it's only thing that's, that's odd about like all of this though is that it's all white folk in a, in a Japanese fable
1: I totally did not notice that because uh, what I was getting at is just I've had no uh, sense of the advanced publicity of this movie, so I was unaware of who were the stars that were in this. Now, when Matthew McConaughey shows up, about halfway through the scene, like, I had, you know, at that point I still wasn't caring, but halfway through the scene, there's a couple vocal inflections. It's just like, McConaughey? And and so that was like, oh, it's that dude. I did not... uh, have a recognition moment for anybody else in the rest of the movie. So even for you saying like it was Shirley's throne and Rooney Mara it's like, oh was it? Cool. I did not realize that. And so
0: I guess maybe I've does just that watched Mad it... Max so many times that I can recognize Shirley's movie. But it's Rooney Mara like... I didn't I knew it afterwards, but I wouldn't get Well, have in theory it. then
1: I should know that really well because I edited the behind the scenes oh, like my Dragon well, tattoo, So, so the I listened word. to like hundreds of hours of Rooney Mara talking. I totally didn't remember that. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I only recognize McConaughey. And so I, I wonder if that, like, did, did you, like apart from being good, like uh, apart from their performance being really good, Did you find that they stood out as their voices, and when you realized that that was their their voices, or were you kind of still swept away with the story because I was not knowing? I I was completely swept away with it until you know McConaughey breaks a bit, and then you're like, "Hey, that's you!" But I wasn't getting that with absolutely no, no, no. I I
0: loved it despite. So like I'm I'm not saying like it wasn't like I was ever taken out. I wasn't taken (laughs) out the same way I am in in uh, you know your average Pixar or DreamWorks movie. Yeah, yeah. Who is that? I'm like like, like, I know that voice. That's Cliff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 mostly McConaughey is kind of distinct. Like he's he's <laughs> yeah, he he's keeping his drawl under 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 wraps, and yeah. he's you know Beetle never lets out an all right, all right, all right. right, you know. So like he's he's doing his normal thing, but it's still so clearly McConaughey. Yeah. and I guess the the thing that, that I I kind of wish is that in this movie with so many uh, talented actors who are of Asian descent, if not straight up Asian actors. I, I, I kind of wish they'd gone that one extra step. This kind of movie, it's gonna be an uphill climb to make its money anyway. I don't think that anybody's going to see this because it's the a Charlize Theron joint, no, you know. No, that's true. So I, I that, that's the like yeah. you know it's no, one really, of the things that I I wish. Well, I wish. but
1: it's honestly it's from an animation perspective it's always kind of been a weird thing for me anyway uh, having celebrity casts. Uh, because really there are talented voice actors who are really good at what they do at, like, using their voices. And uh, it does seem like when you need to... Oh, you know, so we're going to (laughs) do... jumping in the time machine again you know you're gonna do Jetsons the movie and you're gonna bring back all the original voice cast because they're voice actors and they're good at what they do they crafted these characters they use oh but we need to throw Tiffany in here because somehow (laughs) it's actually gonna make like things so much better if we take this pop star who happens to be really popular at this exact moment and put her in this movie because we need that voice to sell that for some reason seems to me is one of the like major ones for me growing up when it happened But now it is sort of that thing it's like oh like why did that ape have to be Rosie O'Donnell. Like I get it because you needed you want to put the star in it, but like I don't I don't want those things to stand out, or I almost want someone who's talented at, at evoking emotion yeah. or, or passion or character out of words than somebody who's just lending the voice that we've come to know and love and or, this, or recognize. This so. isn't
0: the same as what Studio Ghibli does as though when like when they do their mm. films in Japan they have like the Japanese cast and then when they have when Disney releases it in America, they get American actors to redub yeah the the, the dialogue so that they can do a dub. And like I mean, The Wind Rises yeah. was John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, right? So so you had but that that's a an American version. That's yeah. not what this is. If anything, no, no. there may be a Japanese version of this. Yeah. But that's not the but, main animal, but
1: there's still you know the process of animation is you
0: got to get a voice
1: to record to to put to it, and it is an American movie. Uh, like that's the which other is, thing which surprised me. I was
0: gonna say, and like that you know when I just when I just looked up Lekha and realized that they're an American studio, I thought at the very least that they were a British, British. studio. Yeah, me This too. is not like, and I, I don't say this. Bad on you, Laka. I don't really say this in a disparaging way. This does not seem like an American movie. No, no. Like you know, it, then that's. I think that's the biggest surprise is for how poetic it is, for how beautiful it is, for how simple, um, and also for just like how intricate, like I, I don't think it's an accident that there's so much origami in mm. in, in this story and in its plot and in, in its tale, because like even when it's simple, but just like how intricate origami always seems, like of a, a thing of where you got little moves to create something really, really beautiful and multifaceted. The movie ends it, it, it's kind of a weird thing to say stay through the credits mm. because there's no little cookie at the end of this there's no easter egg like you said like yeah. as you said Spider-Man doesn't show up no but what or you do twilight vampires, or the twilight thing one but what you do see is you see the largest creature in this movie you see him being brought to life on the set like you see the green screens, you see all the century stands and all the little cameras, and how they did it all, and did it all, and it's all in, in time lapse. And then okay, go, and you see how it's animated. Mm-hmm. And I would urge people to stay and watch that because you see them fussing with it, fussing with it, fussing with it. Yeah. And I think the level of detail, the level of gone in this movie. and it's crazy because people in our community they lose their shit for practical. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. like there's this added authenticity with what you physically handle versus what you create on a laptop, which I don't think is fair, mm. right? Like, effects are digital. It's just, it's it's the, man, it's the manner of the beast, and I don't think it's any more of a cheat or any less of a, an accomplishment just because you didn't have to lay hands on it. Mm. But at the same time, watching people lay hands on it and see, like, you know, like when you're watching Kubo talk or when you're watching that monkey and you're seeing, like, the monkey's fur kind of, like, flop and you think to yourself, they moved every yeah. last little pedal. Yeah, like it, it does seem that, uh,
1: you know, apart from just a, a, a stubborn reaction to digital effects and, and thinking like, oh, you know, it's so much better to have a, a physical special effect there on the set, there is, I think, something subconscious that our human mind is pulling up when it's something that you know was physically there and you can sense it's physically there. And the digital stuff can get photorealistically, mathematically, I can prove to you that this looks like it's actually there. Yeah. But there's just this weird extra level of, I think, human understanding that that is actual movement. There is something physically there. I, 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 Maybe that's a bit flighty, but that's kind of how I always see the difference between like digital stuff and, and the physical, there's something like just so uh, 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 profoundly touchable yeah. about it when in there, and so that was yeah. This,
0: then you're just like everything felt uh, real. But and and on, like what's more, I felt that it suited this story. Like if this story wasn't told in stop motion, I feel like it should have been told with pen and ink, mm-hmm. right? And, and right? And don't get me wrong, there is a lot of computer effects going right. on here, and, and yeah, there certainly, and certainly is, gorgeously so. But it all seems to. Be so tactile. Yeah, you know,
1: um, um, it's also like it's it was it's so precise, which I guess also lends to the fact that it's stop motion. You need to know like exactly what you want your shot to be and exactly how long you want it to go and what you need to be looking at. But like it is so finely calibrated, a movie in terms of the, how it's showing you its images and the sound that it's throwing at you. Like
0: it's it's very well put together. Was there ever a moment where you were kind of pulled out of this movie? Because I mean. There, there's this yes. kind of weird. Oh, okay, <laughs> this is a short answer. Yes, <laughs> uh, let me, let me. Yeah, um, of course, of course. Well, so there was because there's a lot of moments where um, Monkey and Beetle get very jokey, right? Oh, like, like okay. Monkey and Beetle are yeah. kind, of, are they're, they're, yeah. they're kind of the the, they're they're the uh, they're the peanut gallery yeah, behind yeah. Kubo for most of this movie, and they're you know Kubo is it's it's. It's a very classic tale, and every once yeah. in a while, they're kind of speaking in a very twentieth century way. Twenty first oh, century okay. way. okay. So you mean like that sort of? Um, but yeah. so so that wasn't because that was oh, what okay. was getting me it was every once in a while they don't do don't me wrong. They're they're never making like, you know, they're they're never making like Siri jokes. Yeah. Or they're they're. It's never,
1: not the '60s, and this isn't the Jungle Book. They're no. not
0: like, hey, that's the Beatles. Yeah. No, it's it's never anything like that. But at the same time, every once in a while, they speak a little bit too clever.
1: Mm. Uh, for, yeah, for, for that, a that was the only thing that perhaps. was kind of
0: taking me out of it because well, it seemed okay. so classic, but that was it for me. What was it for you? to kind of well, you
1: know what? Well, I'll, I'll address that. That didn't uh, that didn't bother me at all,
0: surprisingly. And uh,
1: normally I am like when because a lot of movies do them bad, and uh, um, you know Disney's at, at fault for that for a lot as well. Like you know that Tarzan movie, like I remember kind being so
0: violently yanked out by right. its anachronisms. Um, Hercules but, too. I remember that Hercules had a lot of. Those.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because Bobcat Goldthwaite was one of the was one of the little demons. Yeah. You know. Um, um, please, go on. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I lost the, I lost the, I lost uh, the something time.
1: that took you out. Um, well, no, no, no. sorry. I was reacting to what, you, what took you out. Sorry, what took you out? The, the,
0: the every once in a while Oh, yeah, the, 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 like, the,
1: the comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, the, uh, uh, at the time that the movie started to shift and become a bit more comedic, yeah. uh, and started, or, or at least comedic from like sort of a very fan, very family of- comedy yeah. kind of, yeah. yeah. A road um, movie, hey, let's go get the armor. And and maybe this is my own fault of, of watching it from this perspective, but it was like, at, when that kind of happened, it didn't pull me so far out, like I got quickly adjusted to it because it felt like they're doing good Disney. Like, I would be very easy to say, like, oh, all of a sudden, things got a bit goofy and it felt very Disney, and mean that as, like, the worst possible thing you can say. I'm not saying that, like, it just falls into a groove that suddenly feels like very good Disney, but maybe a kind of 90s Disney, like, in the sort of, like, the word, word, are no, not even Latin, that's a bad example, because <laughs> that was really blown out. But, um, but yeah, it did maybe hit a point where, where it got... Goofier than I had expected, but never hitting a level where uh, I was pulled out. So I kind of so What did that. take you out? What took me out was, um, all of a sudden, uh, uh, I mean, I don't know if it's a spoiler to start talking about story concepts, but in the, towards the climax of the movie, it, or, or during the climax of the movie, I guess, it very much becomes like a Greek myth. Yeah, um, and that's not. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's like there is that shift
0: into Greek myth territory, and it was sort of like, oh, we're doing this. Uh, I kind of and... felt that that was where it started, though. Yeah, like that, that. That to me was getting back to what was hooking me in, and then all of a sudden it became this road movie. I was like, wait a second, what oh, are we doing okay. now? See, so when it came back, to that I was actually okay, but, oh, but it didn't. Well, no, because well, the thing was like all the early stuff did not feel I. I mean, I
1: totally wasn't reading it as Greek myth at the time, but that part did not feel like Greek myth to me. That felt more like a sort of, uh, uh, I don't know how appropriated it is, but yeah, very Japanese or Pan-Asian like theme thrown on a folktale, but the folktale itself was kind of like... Uh, like, Scandinavian metal god, like, like, but this really, like, total metal god storyline and the hero's journey and all that sort of stuff and and really knocking things down to, like, uh, death and that sort of thing. But then things spun out into, like, Greek myth. And so it was sort of like, oh, like, I was definitely vibing it when it was a sort of Japanese thing on top of, like, like Scandinavian Metal God movie, but then to move into uh, uh, Greek myth territory, and and it probably just also has to do with my own prejudices this particular summer, is just that like every movie I go see involves kind of unstoppable uh, uh, god entities, uh, or Acts of heroism that are declared so
0: by the gods, therefore well, no conflict. That's what so okay, it's a the thing, little to tiptoe. The, but here's the, the tiptoe. It's like, that, oh,
1: it's going to be this now. Right. But to That's, that, what okay. I would
0: suggest, though, is that at the very least, the climax of this movie isn't this hero must succeed, otherwise existence will end. Because that, I feel, is what so many Hollywood blockbusters mm. are going towards over and over and over, as the stakes are yeah. so high. Yeah, yeah. The stakes are, if we don't win, the world will end. It's like, no, 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 that's not what's happening. This kid is fighting for his life, yeah. but, right? And that I can at least respect, is even yeah. if it goes into Greek myth, it's not, I must you know, I must win this conquest; otherwise, the world will be over. No, no, no. He is fighting for his life and his family's life, so I can, at the very least, appreciate that.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, but still, I mean, I don't know if necessarily Greek myths are always fighting for the. the, the no, they almost never are. are the yeah for the, the totality of the world? It's always just something sort Greek, like sort of the Greeks are far more even keel. But, but yeah, like when it suddenly when it suddenly became about like there are like that there are gods and have these impact. Like it's still like it was a great way to end the story. It was just that turn was sort of a um a different storytelling device that uh, uh wasn't necessarily welcome in my particular uh, experience watching the movie like all of a sudden it just came in and was, oh oh all right okay we're we're doing this like that's good that's a that's a cool ending but uh like you had me without going into the
0: greek god stuff yeah um but and, but, and but yet, still like, and yeah, i was gonna say and yeah like we're, we're we're picking on these little we're pick, pulling on these threads and yet at the same time we're still pulling at them lovingly because we're saying that this movie was so good. Yeah, yeah, um, like, for, like, I, I, I haven't seen any other, like,
1: kid-centered, death-obsessed, Scandinavian uh, death metal <laughs> epic. <laughs> they should put uh, that on the poster. Mixed with uh, Greek tragedy and uh, <laughs> Japanese pan Asian
0: uh, visuals. Yeah, this like, year. <laughs> whoa,
1: like, just
0: smash them, it's great. Um, we um, we end our reviews here on the podcast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible that if you could, you would take away from this movie and keep. Um, I don't know if you've already thought about this, but did you uh, did Not. you have... Okay. Well, uh, I, have, yeah. I, I, I did have one, and in this case, it's a line, and it's a theme, actually, of this movie because it's something that I believe in deeply. Um, and it's the line... It's told to Kumo at the beginning of the movie, and he repeats it at the end of the movie, and the line is all stories have an end because it's something I deeply believe in. And it's something I love about storytelling. And it's something I love about this story is that we're in an age, like, I mean, we are just three weeks removed from an additional chapter being released to the wide market of Harry Potter. Right? Right. Because people wanted more. They don't, they, don't want, they don't want the story to finish. And then what happened, Dad, you know, is, is what everybody wants and they want a spin-off of this show and they want to find out about that character. It's like, no, 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 all stories have an end. And I loved hearing that in a tale because like the, 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 the elder woman who tells it to him is telling it in the way that he doesn't know how his own story finishes, right? I love it in the way that a story has to finish. Otherwise, it's not a story. It's just a continuing saga that will have its ups and downs. Yeah. That's my souvenirs, and yeah. I love that somebody said that. Oh, that's cool. In, in a theory. All right, I get what you're getting at. I thought
1: it was sort of a, like, no, but it could I really a... like a toy that was this character. No, no, you could, like, yeah, you
0: you could say two. that you want, like, I, no, I, 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 I... listen, on a base level, <laughs> I would like his little origami warrior. I thought that was badass. I want that. His little origami suit, samurai? I
1: want that shit. Uh, but what do you um, Okay, so then, in that case, then, my takeaway was... Um, when everything really destabilizes for this character. Like, when all of a sudden, the, ha- however shitty his life was at the beginning of this movie, is completely violently stripped away from him, and he is left, like, fighting for the very basic level of survival. Like, and, and that's, I guess, where it starts to get into real myth. It's sort of, like, straight up, like... You're after members of your family that are coming to get you and pull out your eye. You could die any moment now. So your existence is now about survival or eating or shelter or fighting. Like, by having that break, you were able to strip everything down to those very, very core human essentials. So by having that moment, where things all of a sudden just are, are taken away and everything strips down to the barest, like, primal level, for me, when I was watching it and and registering those emotions, um, it did sort of remind me. It's like, no, look, like, the reason why we're stripping it down to these things is we're people. We're all people. Yep. These are, like, the, the coreest elements of maybe who we are or maybe what we need to fight for. But, you know, we're all sitting here in this movie theater, but we all have these same concerns. And
0: then there's the us. talking monkey. Yeah. And the talking monkey was <laughs> really cool. We, I like that I, know, I did like so that So who was the talking monkey? Oh yeah, Theron. Theron. yeah, 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 yeah. So we rate the movies here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars, including half stars if you need it. Mike Lane, what do you give Kubo in the two strings? Sorry, four stars you said? Well, one to four. One to four.
1: Um, I think I'm going like a three and a half. I will withhold that half star just because when things veered into myth, it was sort of like, oh, okay. this thing. Um, no, I... That was enough of a break for me. But like I said, totally intend to see it again and get immersed in it. And maybe when I'm immersed in it and not You'll constantly being jarred out by the crowd, I totally might get there. Because
0: boy, was I ravished. I this is this is like a very very passionate three and a half for me as well. This w- you know what? If this was a year where the Little Prince didn't exist, this would be a four, probably, um, because because I loved so much of its look and its story that much that it really really endeared itself to me and you know after how starved we've been for anything that's nearly this elegant and Got nearly the, you know it, it's it comes along and I would be so happy if everybody between now and fall just went and watched this movie once. Yeah, like I gotta
1: go tell my sister and my parents, like I'm gonna tell my sister, like drag my parents. Like it's just, that's that kind of thing you're gonna yeah. dig and then you're gonna like tell everybody afterwards, boy, you know what? You it was actually really it. good.
0: Well, you maybe never heard of it, like this Kubo. Yeah, um, yeah, you gotta see it. Yeah. Uh, hey, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you saw Kubo and you hated it and you're a horrible human being. Um, Maybe you think we're short-selling it. Maybe you think that this movie is perfect and that we're horrible human beings for picking on the on the loose threads. You're half know? right. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan at Matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash Matinee. What do you think of Kubo and the Two Strings? And uh, we're not really going to do the other side. Uh, like, Can you think of a marry-up movie to go along with this? That, that somebody, if they like this movie, that they would uh, go on to as kind of further reading? There's one that comes to mind for me. Yeah. And that's the um the the legend the princess naguya the 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 last oh, uh, ghibli movie from like two years is that what it was naguya Kung- yeah Kuguya? yeah kaguya sorry like, not, not i totally
1: naguya. yes i really wanted to see that because it sounded uh, awesome because it's, it's all like the the um the, the classical like old-timey art and, 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 and it's just yeah. like oh my god that looks it's, so good and again
0: it's very much like a it's very much a myth it's very much an old school yeah, kind of movie yeah. it, it would go really really well with this Um, It's, you know, it's kind of a fable, it's very much cut from the same cloth, so if somebody liked, you know, this kind of spin on pseudo-anime, they would really like genuine anime. Yeah. I think.
1: I, uh, well then in that case, I would marry it up with, um, there was a wonderful TV show now defunct called Metalocalypse. Okay. Um, it was totally, like, I was it's thinking, they're like, like, this is, yeah, it's like, this is like a, a, a child, if, a, if you're a parent and you really dug Metalocalypse and you know who you are, and you've got children <laughs> now, it's like, show them this movie as, like, the gateway primer to, in a couple of years, you're going to just unleash that on them. Because, oh, wow. yes, it is totally, it really, truly felt to me like Metal God movie, like... He's, look how badass he is, and he's wearing a patch, and he's got this guitar that can stop. Like, it's the most powerful guitar in the world. Like It's such a like oh, heavy metal god movie. Like You might, roll you might with you it. get me to watch that, which sometimes that's a dangerous yeah. problem. It seemed more metal god movie than proper
0: samurai traditional Japanese fable oh, to me. Oh <laughs> man, That there is episode 163 of the Matinee Cast. Come on back for episode 164. Uh, which will either drop next week or the week after. I, I want. I'm know I'm going to get at least one more in before TIFF, maybe two, depending on uh, what comes out what we want to talk about. And I sort of want to talk about the Derek Jeter France movie in two weeks, um, "The Life Between Oceans." Uh, I was unaware of that. Yeah, it's no, yeah, it's coming out. Um, the, you know, I, I, there's a lot of the smaller stuff is dropping. There was the one you were talking about, the, the, the very talky movie that's playing in the street here. Indignation. Indignation. So maybe, James Sheamus, Indignation. Yeah, yeah. we will come yeah. back and talk about Indignation. Um, as I said, it's we're getting all these little me cookies at the end of the summer, and i want to get in one or two more before we break for the film Festival. Um, I'd say go check out Mike Lane's work, uh, but, you know, he, he's a hermit where it comes to the internet. Yeah. Are, are any of the, trailer, are the trailers or anything like that for your, well, your tip projects up and around?
1: Um, that's true, there is. You can actually, you can see the trailer for uh, a short that I did um, just the trailer though, uh, called The uh, Unauthorized Hagiography of Vincent Price. If you just Google that, it's well, on we'll the video. We'll put a
0: link for that put in a show a link up. That's pretty
1: cool. Yep. Um, so yeah, so that's a that's a short film that I did uh, about two years ago now, but uh, the fun fact was that played at the Morbido Film Festival in Pueblo, Mexico uh, a couple months ago, and it won a prize! Wow! So it yeah, got a cool little awesome. skull statue. It's oh, like a, a special mention, oh. um, and it's awesome. Um, as an editor, I did some work on the um, There's two documentaries, very lengthy documentaries on the new X-Files uh, season Blu-ray that just came out. So you can check those out. Uh, I did the one that was called 4345. It's all about keeping an episode in 4345 time to finish the show. And you didn't hit 4345. <laughs> um, and I edited a feature called Gridlocked which just showed up on iTunes or sorry, Netflix, I think even in the last month or so, it's like action movie, double Purcell. Look for that stuff.
0: Though. Yeah. If you like machine guns, you could do worse. Yeah. Why not? My site is matinee.ca for more audio content. You can find back episodes by going to the matinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on podcast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, the iTunes store, and whatever it is Brian Rowan is using. Uh, everything gives you any ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Kubo and the two strings can be sent to Ryan at the Matinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm She's Matinee underscore CA, or Facebook.com slash StarPointName. Any final thoughts, Mr. Lane? I think I have heat stroke. <laughs> you know, I didn't <laughs> that, really think about it when we sat down. The sun it was, like, was blazing, dog. <laughs> and now um, it's going behind a building. And now
1: I'm starting to feel it. I know I'm going to pull up these sunglasses and just be yeah, like at the Farmer tan. Like yeah. Um yeah. No, it's been lovely. Thank huh. you so much.
0: My pleasure. Food Mike, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the Matinee.